Conversations, a movie podcast where we believe a film is only as good as the discussion it inspires. My name is Kale Prindle. And I am Slade Lane. Hello, Slade. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Snazzy. I'm doing great. Some would say fantastic, but it's a little too early to say a a word like that for this kind of an episode, so I'm going to save that. It's a little early. Uh, it's a little maybe, early. Maybe, maybe in a minute. Um, yeah. But, maybe uh, in 17.5 Fox minutes. Gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. May, maybe right. then. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't even know what to here. say now. <laughs> I know. I, I started too quick with all you, of you the really references. Did. It's my fault. It's my fault. Um, welcome back, everybody, to the Holiday Film Feast Part 2 where Slade and I are going through uh, some just really great stop-motion films. Um, So hopefully you listened to part one, which was Nightmare Before Christmas. And here we are for part two, and I'm excited about it. Before we get into the film here, uh, Slade, give me a few thoughts on just stop-motion as a way of making film. Your thoughts. Um, It... on the surface and i think unless you're a professional filmmaker is one of the most cheesy (laughs) low-grade mediums to do yeah um but man when when you can have a whole team of animators there to to do it right and do all the detail work it's pretty cool and even even if you're just messing around with legos doing it it's 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 endearing it It feels it it feels very 150 years ago just like picture picture it's like uh taking what film actually does and cutting it down well it kind of reminds you of what film actually is right where it's like each frame is so like you can see the jumpiness of it and like oh it really does feel like a collection of pictures which is kind of cool but i am with you there's something about stop motion that does have a cheesy quality which i'm going to blame on Things like Gumby, which is incredible for when it was done, but it was always yeah. very cheesy. And then, like, some of the stuff through the 80s and, and uh, uh, Davy and Goliath. And a lot of these, like, kids' shows that were all stop motion Yeah, always looked really cheap. Um, but I am with you. Like, when you actually pay attention to how much work goes into it, man, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's so hard to distinguish between... Um... <clears throat> You, you know, a kid's type show where it's just like, well, we have some clay and we're going to move right. it around versus, you know, uh, big budget movies that it, in some sense do use stop animation, like Empire Strikes Back with like mm-hmm. Adam Walkers. It's like that's all stop motion. It's just yep. done on such a scale and, and visual with visual effects to make it seem larger than life in and everything else. So it it has this really cool place, but to do a whole movie of it is, is interesting and unnerving, I think. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. In some sense of just like, it's it's a very, uh, mortal thing. Really makes you look (laughs) at your life. Mortal. Mortal. Yeah. Mortal. Yeah. It's like a tale of survival to, to just uh, get Mm. a, a movie out, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Slade, that was I can't I can't do a, a that was, segue that was with fantastic. That, but... that was fantastic. 
Thank you, it was. It felt like you were making it up as you were going along, though, which is just bad songwriting. It's it's bad podcasting. It is. (laughs) You made a bad podcast, Slade. I know. (laughs) Let's get to our movie, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Let's get to the good stuff. Slade... <laughs> Slade, tell us about this movie. Oh gosh. Um, um, there's an easy way and there's a long way, so we'll see which way you take. <laughs> there it is. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is a movie that came out in 2009, directed by Wes Anderson and co co screenplayed with Noah Baumbach. Actually, um, it is a stop motion picture uh based off the Roald Dahl novel of the same name of a bunch of talking animals living in a either backwoods Kentucky place or somewhere in England it's it really goes back and <laughs> forth hard to in tell. this in this movie um so don't know uh but it tells the story of Mr. Fox uh who is a former uh bird thief uh squab if you know what that is and uh one day he finds himself and his uh wife to be felicity uh trapped he makes a promise to stop stealing birds after she uh, reveals that she is pregnant and we find him <coughs> two years later or 14 fox years later uh living in a hole uh and feeling not so fantastic he writes a column for his newspaper that he's not sure anyone reads uh he has a son who's well different and he uh (laughs) he's just not feeling himself until one day he makes the rash decision to buy a tree that happens to be next to bogus bunsen beans farms where uh they raise chickens goose uh geese filled donuts (laughs) And so and <laughs> the best uh, hard apple cider money can buy, it tastes like gold in your mouth. Uh, Mr. Fox makes the decision to come back into his life of crime for one last triple header uh, and steal from these gentlemen. And along the way, hijinks ensue and he finds himself trapped yet again in a hole below where his tree used to be because he made the farmers mad. And... He has to learn before the end of the film whether or not he's going to change. Period. Period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. It's, yeah. How was that? Yeah. Um, you know, I said there were two ways to do it. I think you found a third. You found an in-between. Could oh, have been thanks. longer. Could have been shorter. It's all good. It's all yeah. good. <laughs> okay. All right, so, yeah. Slade. Uh, um, we have, we've danced around doing this movie since the very beginning of this podcast we almost called it fantastic mr film pod like we talked about a bunch of different things where we thought about using this as like the inspiration for a lot of what we wanted to do um so it feels really great to finally be doing an episode on it um so i'm gonna kick it to you uh you've (laughs) seen this movie several times i think i have that is basic true basic imp- what was it like the first time you saw this actually no yeah well, first time you saw this let's go there okay uh first time i can't remember if we saw this together in theaters or not 
We might have. I have no idea. Uh, we, well, I saw it with Abner. I know that much. Okay, um, so there's a good chance we did then. <laughs> there's a good chance we saw this in theaters because it was like my freshman year of college. I think this is the first Wes Anderson movie I ever saw as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, I don't know how I came to own it on DVD several years later. Um, I think it was $4 at Target. But I think <laughs> I, I was not that impressed with this movie when I first saw it in theaters. I actually didn't like it very much. I just was around enough film snobby people being like, oh, that's great. And I'm like, I found it funny, but not the overall everything as fantastic as everyone right. else did. And then whenever I bought it for four or so dollars from Target, uh, I just I watched it two or three times on a tra- train ride back to college. Hmm. And I don't know, I just started liking it it became like a comfort movie like it has to do with the color palette of this entire movie is just this weird brown everything's brown and orange (laughs) orange (laughs) and it's just very comforting in Mm -hmm. some way so yeah and then it just became one of my my faves that's my groovy (laughs) groovy yeah then my first time was probably around that same time seeing it with uh abner and other people in that in that span chris and such um which when you say you're on a bunch of film snobs that would be me and, <laughs> and chris probably i would assume in this case that that's would okay it, more more him and abner uh than you when you yeah. think of, of yeah. this is fantastic i'm like i mean there's some fun deadpan humor but i didn't get it there is there really so. is i do enjoy this movie and i enjoyed it the first time i saw it i think it has grown in my like how much i like it over the years without seeing it very often i've probably only seen this two or three times um i mean for sure three but possibly no more than that um, i was re-watching it right before the podcast like i i got like 20 <laughs> 20 30 minutes in so very good um but yeah i think it kind of grew in my mind as this like super amazing movie even without revisiting it and it's because i think Mm -hmm. the style of it um it's wes anderson and in in a lot of ways it's very wes anderson but it's also a lot less wes anderson than some of his more famous ones like yeah comparing this to like royal tenenbaums this feels a lot less anderson comparing it to rushmore this is a lot less anderson but it is still very deadpan and the humor is so difficult to even explain or articulate, but it works in such a bizarre way that only Anderson can pull off. Um, but I also like it just because like, it was a completely different style of stop motion than anything else I had seen. Like this yeah. movie looks so good. It is ratty and kind of, <laughs> <laughs> almost feral looking because of how he does the fur and everything else. Yeah. Um, and it looks cheap and not cheap all at the same time. Like we, if we compared this like nightmare before Christmas where everything is pretty smooth and like every mm-hmm. little bit of every character feels right. And they're, they're trying to pull little tricks to make you not think of how these are little puppets. Whereas fantastic. Mr. Fox is like, you guys know these are puppets, right? We just did a fire extinguisher and we just we just use cotton for the spray, right? And yeah. you can tell it's cotton or like the smoke from the fires. Like you can tell how little yeah. 
everything is. And that just adds to a charm in this movie that I had never seen before. And I think it's very funny. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And it, it feels at least to me more sophisticated than nightmare before Christmas. Cause I would say it looks oh, yeah. much better than nightmare before mm-hmm. Christmas, you know, and that's what 30, 30, 20, 20 years will do. Yeah. Roundabout. Um, but it is also, yeah, a different style of where it's like, those are clay, these are puppets, they have real fur on them. Just everything about it seems more tangible than Nightmare. Nightmare seemed like it was uh, imitating a cartoon, if that makes mm. sense. Of, yeah, it does. Of where, you know, it, the the clay figurines just have a a very smooth quality to them, whereas this one uh, uh, it's so grizzly. <laughs> It is. Well, and again, Nightmare. <laughs> so much blood. Like <laughs> so this good. Is the rest, this is the rest of the episode. Highly is great. Um, but you're right, because Nightmare, it's like those are their own characters in their own world. Nothing they wear looks mm-hmm. like it's made of actual cloth, like on any of the characters. Mm-hmm. Oogie Boogie's the closest because he's kind of a burlap sack, but even then he doesn't yeah. really look like it. In this movie, you're like, somebody made clothes for all of these puppets, and you can tell. Yeah. And (laughs) I was going to, I didn't have time to do it. I wanted to look at some behind the scenes stuff for this one because I wanted to see them working with these puppets because the amount of facial um, movement they're able to get is pretty incredible to me because in Nightmare, you know, the way they did that is they, they would swap out heads or swap out mouths, right? To just get the different articulations. But in this one, it's like you just get the, the cheeks will move a little to get these more yeah. full facial expressions. I'm like, what are they doing here? Yeah. And it's still, you know, it moves like stop motion. So it's got that little jankety aspect to it. But it's like they're still getting a lot of uh, emotion and a lot of movement out of these faces. Yeah. And I've seen some of the behind the scenes before. And, and I mean, that is literally what they're doing is just I think we alluded it alluded alluded it it, it, alluded (laughs) to it the last time with just like i mean it takes so long to make a stop motion movie Mm -hmm. um you know and it's for that reason like with these puppets i i know it was just like picture move like yeah barely you know and it is like okay we got three seconds of actual footage today um and, and it pays off so well in this movie because it seems it moves very seamless. Like you can tell where the motion is at, but never is it so cheesy where it's like, Oh, I just feel like I'm watching (laughs) people struggle (laughs) to move these things along. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, no, yeah. they look great, and the other reason I would want to look at some behind the scenes is I would love to see how they put all these shots together, because there's some areas where, there's some shots you're like, I know they are doing the stop motion, recording it on something else, and then they're putting that footage in the middle of this. Like, I think of the mm-hmm. when they're breaking into uh, Bunce's storehouses, and he's sitting there in his security room, and you've got these four different screens behind him on his security cameras. And like, this is great, but like, each one of those security yeah. cameras would have been like its own stage, its own thing, they just put it in. They just composite it in, which I think is very cool, and a smart way to do it, because you don't have to do everything in camera. But there's a lot of these shots I I was like, 
the sets seem so deep that yeah. I'd love to know if there are like different lines that are cut off. Like, nope, that part was green screened and, and this part's the real part. I don't know, yeah. but they there's... there's a huge depth of field in a lot of the shots in this. And you got characters popping up really close to the camera and really far away from the camera. And of course you've got these huge sprawling <laughs> if it wasn't stop motion you'd call it a one take right of them just like yeah going from left to right and jumping over things and flipping and, and, yeah. and it's well, so cool i'm like is that all just one giant set that's 50 i think feet so I, I, I think so yeah i i know i know like the first yeah it's the first uh when they go to bogus no yeah. not bogus uh in the very beginning movie when fox and felicity are yeah doing their first getting their swab yeah um and it It doesn't matter when they go in there (laughs) is yeah it it, it, well it plays so much like uh uh mario (laughs) you know it it does (laughs) that's the idea of just like if you've seen people do it on youtube like there's one or two channels that like recreate mario scenes and it do it stop motion style Mm -hmm. and it's just this one one long thing giant table (laughs) that they built And, and everything and, you know, just how many ever weeks it takes to just move the camera. Yeah. And every figurine, it's it's amazing. It is. And, it, so. and I mean, all of the stop motion stuff, whether we talked about it, you know, a nightmare, it was a huge stage with parts that could disconnect and you could move in and, and reconnect. But those still mo- felt like this is somewhat contained. Yes, it might be a 30 foot long or 30 foot wide stage that... But most of the work is happening right here. This movie has so many sets. <laughs> so many places that it goes. That That's the other thing that amazed me. You know, Nightmare, it's like you're in Halloween Town. You've got the towns that they're running around when they're de- uh, delivering presents. You have the North Pole and Christmas Town. Um, and you've got Oogie Boogie's Lair. But it's like you've, you're keeping yourself mm-hmm. pretty restricted to just a handful of sets because... You would drive yourself crazy doing too much more. This film's like, nah, we don't care. They are doing so many yeah. different places. Um, yeah. So many yeah. different homes and houses. And, uh, oh, the cider cellar. Yes. It looks so good. All glowy and awesome. And then you got Rat up in there doing his thing. It's very cool. Yeah. Just looks great. It is. Oh, man. Um, So, so... What what of the actual uh, story going on in this this movie? This, <laughs> well, you this know, a thing. nightmare before Christmas. You have a man who's not happy with what he's got, and he wants to do one more big thing to try to find meaning in his life. So Jack and Fox are kind of the same character: tall, skinny, whatever. They're not really, yeah. but yeah. they're. <laughs> you could start with this, like. That's saying every movie. In every movie, there's someone who's not happy, and they want to do something new and different. It's like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Over 50% <laughs> of all movies. No, the story here is cool, um, because it's a story of, like, a midlife crisis. It's a story about, you know, sort of your masculinity and what you do with that when you're not feeling completely fulfilled in what you're doing. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here about insecurity. Of course, the the way the lines are written is a lot about what is your true nature. You know, we're a bunch of wild animals, but I, I feel like that's kind of secondary point because when Fox mm-hmm. and Felicity are having their a really cool scene that my kids were very confused by, 
uh, when she tells him, I never should have married you. And they're like, what? And then the scene just ends. Um, but there is a lot about like, who are you? Who are you going to choose to be? Are you going to continue to be your basic wild self? Or are you going to, you know, step up and realize what you have to do? Because more, there's more people counting on you than just you. And the story helps and it fits with all of that. And I think in a really cool way of just like, he spent a couple of years as a newspaper writer. They have a home. They're fine. But he's so... Some of it's insecure. He, you know, he talks about how <laughs> he's seven Earth year, you know, normal years old. And his father died at seven and a half. So he doesn't have a lot, whole lot of time. He's got to have legacy. Dang it. Um, yeah. And I think that they did a f- tremendous job. I have to not say fantastic for everything. They did a tremendous job at, like, stacking onto this plot in ways that made sense. Because this mm-hmm. movie is also short, because it's stop motion. It is. It is. And but it doesn't feel as short. Um, and I, but the first no. hour did. I'm like, we're almost done, right? I felt like we were almost done after the first hour. But then all of the farmers with their retaliation and them trying to dig them out, like, you've got about a half hour of Fox trying to survive and dig more holes, and then trying to figure out what to do, and then Christofferson getting taken, and like. There's a lot still that yeah. happened in that last half hour. But all of that builds on that idea and that premise of who are you going to be, Mr. Fox? <laughs> are you <laughs> going to get off your high horse and stop being kind of a pain in the butt because um, he is and actually do the right thing? And the movie kind of lets him still be a pain in the butt, which is something that Wes Anderson, I think, likes to do in movies like Rushmore, where it's like <laughs> Jason Schwartzman's character in Rushmore is kind of a pain in the butt always, but it just it kind of works out and everyone's okay with it. And that's yeah. kind of how fantastic Mr. Fox ends, too. He learns Definitely. a little, but not a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think I caught more on this rewatch, and it's, it's been several years since I last rewatched this and I'm older now and life circumstances are, are different since last I watched mm-hmm. it of just how actually interesting Mr. Fox is, I think yeah. as a character uh, in all this, because he does have a midlife crisis, but it, and you mentioned to- toxic masculinity, which I think uh, is an apt observation for sure. But he, he also just has this, very uh narcissistic nature yes to himself um which you just get so perfectly delivered <laughs> like from the get-go of this movie like the scene of him and felicity right before <clears throat> they uh do their first heist is mm-hmm. so great of establishing his character of he's he is charming. He does care. But he's arrogant. <laughs> but man. Very yeah. arrogant. It, well, no, it, my wife walked just... by during that first scene and she's like, I forget, is the whole movie like this where she never gets to have her say in anything and it's always him? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to find out. And kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. She gets some it, balance, but yeah. No, it's it's so great of just, you know, that that trait (laughs) that more people are becoming aware of just like, well, I kind of like to do this, Eh, but, but the scenic route, you know, so nice. Yeah. Fine. Let's do it. Oh, and it's short. Sweet. We're doing what I want. Right. Um, Right. And he's just such a perfect character for that. Um, um, And, you know, it gets into when he 
buys his house. I'm I choose to ignore your advice. The cuss, <laughs> which is the cuss the, you are. The beginning. Oh, we'll have to talk about that. The beginning of the cuss in this yeah. movie is fantastic. It's a it's what such the cuss? a great. Oh, so good. Yeah, and so he, he's just a very interesting character, and he's charming as hell. Like, uh, mm-hmm. he's foxy and he knows it. Ex- yes, George Clooney. <laughs> I mean, he he's just great. I wait, I can't Slade, think Slade, of... Slade. Are you suggesting that this movie has better voice acting than Nightmare Before Christmas? Is that what I'm this, picking up from you? This that George Clooney well... is better than Chris Sarandon. <laughs> listen yes because you'd be right <laughs> I, i'm 100 percent right you i are. think this this movie for a movie that is about half star studded mm-hmm. like now now it, it's not dwayne the rock johnson by any means but it's like every it's a about half yeah. half this movie Meryl Streep, <laughs> you know, right? this movie has better voice acting than most animated movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I it would be my argument, but yeah, f- for a, a movie with people that are so well known for their voices, this works so well. It's not like, it, and it's even a movie that has Owen Wilson in it, and and he <laughs> has one of the most egregious examples of voice acting i think in in ever cars? with cars yeah because it's just yeah. like huh guess guess what pixar did we got actual people you know to to voice this um and it yeah. it ruins that movie but in this one it works so well because hmm. they are the characters uh however they accomplish it which gets it back to one of the filming thing is it, and like, I mean, you can see these kind of scenes in Rango as well, the behind the scenes of where, you know, they're just in a giant room uh, <clears throat> with the actors actually acting out the dialogue and recording it. And they did a very similar thing in this movie where, you know, they would have George Clooney running outside and recording his lines <laughs> <laughs> while, while doing it. So, you know you know tricks of the trade it just made it way more believable than it's like oh you're in some secluded studio with a very high def camera on you uh yeah <laughs> recording your moment of brilliance i'm like I, I mean it's all right i saw one of those reels on instagram with like best moments of voice acting it was every very famous on-screen actor who did mm-hmm. voice acting and it's just like here's jack black i'm like Jack Black and Kung Fu Panda is great. I love it, but it's Jack Black, and yeah, he he never embodies Poe <laughs> in the same way. Or or even Bradley. I mean, Bradley Cooper's a little bit better, but it's just like, you know, I don't know. Bradley Cooper's Rocket is pretty incredible. No, it is. It he's, really is. He's done a stellar um, job with that character. Exactly. Um, but but for most celebrities who are on screen actors going into yeah. voice acting, it's it's not real well. And even Bill Murray, who who is awesome, but, you know, Bill Murray. <laughs> Bill Murray is Bill Murray. And in this movie, it yeah. just works really well for him to be Badger. And, well, and I think if we're going to talk about those I mean, And 
and part of it is Wes Anderson and his catalog of actors yes. who he works with. That's what I was going to well. say. If you're going to talk about the voice acting here, you have to talk about like who Wes Anderson has in his stable of people that he's going to work with anyway. Mm-hmm. And yes, he doesn't typically work with George Clooney or Meryl Streep, but Bill Murray is in, every, I think, every Wes Anderson movie. If not, all but probably one uh, yeah. would be my guess. Um Owen Wilson is in most of his movies. Willem Dafoe is in a lot of his movies. So when you have all these types of characters or all these actors in here, like they know the assignment because they know what Wes Anderson wants, right? So they're not coming in like, oh, I got to be a badger, huh? Yeah. All right. I'm going to be a Bill Murray's not, he's, yes, he's Bill Murray and he's always Bill Murray, but Bill Murray is who we think he is now because of mostly Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. Um, And who he gets to play in those. And he gets to do that again. Without being what you were suggesting, the big celebrity voice actor was like, we're getting loud and crazy. But like you said, Jack Black is loud and crazy always. When you watch Kung Fu Panda, you're not like, wow, this is something new from him. Um, There's some that do, but a lot of them are like, nope, you're Chris Pratt. You're still just Chris Pratt in the Lego movie. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Trying not to go on tangents. Uh, No. (laughs) Afterwards. Uh, I, I think what works so well with Wes Anderson and all the people he brings in on every movie is is who he is as a filmmaker, which is mm-hmm. I am I am making a movie and it has a story and and there is obviously just such a strong vision in each of the movies in a very specific style. Yeah. With, <clears throat> with how lines are delivered as a matter of factly and and if there's humor it it's always deadpan you know right but, but even with all that Wes Anderson is so interesting in this movie shows he is able to do it without even on-screen actors is it it's not about the actors as in every actor that's in this it's not a vanity project for them mm-hmm. um like <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I don't know. It's probably a very fun movie, but something like uh, a Black Adam with The Rock, a lot of people are either, I really hate it, or like, it's fine, but it's The Rock playing The Rock, and it just seems like a <laughs> multi-million sure. dollar rock vanity project. You know, and mm-hmm. he, he, he puts out a whole statement on Instagram saying like, oh, James Gunn is taking over DC, and he... Right. He's not going to use Black Adam, which is fine. I just thank you for the fans. And like someone pointed out, it's like, yeah, no one would want you in there because it's not about the characters in this series or or anything. It's about you as Black Adam. And that's mm-hmm. kind of every Rock movie. And, and that's fine for him. I, I love The Rock. But when you get into a Wes Anderson movie, he commands the story in such a way where it's just like, we all know who these actors are and what they're capable of. And they've been in high profile things. They've won awards or whatever. And they've been a part of those same projects. But when it's in his movie, it's like, you're here to serve the script and what I'm doing. And I think you get a lot of that here because you do have a George Clooney, you do have Meryl Streep, you have these well-known voices, and it's not like they're twisting their voice except for Willem Dafoe <laughs> in such a <laughs> yeah. way. Everyone else that is just being themselves. Yeah. Is just being the themselves, part. but and yet they're still embodying a character, and I think 
you know, that speaks very much to Wes Anderson being able to have such a strong vision. I'm like, here, here is what I am filming, and it is not any one of you uses uses project <laughs> in mm-hmm. here. And you see that with all his things because they are so star stud. And I think, <clears throat> I think the next movie after this is Grand Budapest Hotel, which is just, you know packed even hmm. fuller i think that's his next movie after this thing well i was trying to um, think of the order of his filmography because I, we probably talked about this when we did moonrise kingdom i'm on and off with wes anderson i like his movies i think for the most part but i i definitely <laughs> lose track of when they come out so it's yeah. like i know there's like his work on bottle rocket and royal tenenbaums is what really set him off and then i know oh. between hmm? yeah Oh, yeah. I was going to say Moonrise Kingdom actually was his next one after this. Was the next My one. Bad. Okay. But, uh, but, but I know you had yeah. Tenenbaums. I know you had Life Aquatic was before this one. But I know there's something yeah. between Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic. That, well, Rushmore was even older. So anyway, uh, I'm all over the, the place. The, I forget the, the order. That's my point. The Darling Unlimited. Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and two with... His filmography, again, he has a very specific style and has always had that. You have Ball Rocket, you have Rushmore, which are, you know, the classics for him. Mm-hmm. But, I'm, I mean, really starting with this movie, in my humble opinion, my, my non-hot-take opinion here, it seems like him shifting into what he's been doing the last 10 years, which, you know is taking everything he did before then and just perfecting it in such a way where it's just like, it gets stronger. Like I like Rushmore. It, it's not like this movie. I like the darling no. unlimited as well. It's a great movie. It's not like this. It's not as hyper-focused and so well put together and well-crafted as his work starting I would argue with this movie and moving forward, because then you get Moonrise Kingdom, which we've done, which is one yeah. of my favorites, which rates about the same here. You get Grand Budapest, Grand Budapest, which you know a lot of people say is probably his best movie, and yeah. very very arguable. Of the vision becomes so strong, <clears throat> yeah, with everyone he brings in and never sacrifices who the actors are, but knows how to work it in such a way where. It's just great. It's fantastic. <laughs> I think one of the reasons this movie works so well, to, to play off what you're talking about, is certainly by this stage, probably before, probably starting with Life Aquatic, maybe, like, I think every actor knew what they were getting into with a Wes Anderson yeah. movie by this point. Like, Tenenbaum was, like, so bizarre because that's it, also a mega star-studded cast, especially, like, for who we know all those people to be now. They weren't as huge then, but... Yeah, he was pulling big names pretty early on because people like you're gonna be you're gonna take this seriously. I'm going to be a character, but not like a wild character. I'm gonna be an eccentric, quirky character that I can play subdued. Like they're still a real person without being like insane. Um, And I think that's one reason that this movie works, and I think it's why the voice acting works because Clooney's not doing anything super silly or weird. Right, the animation gets silly and weird, which is a uh, which I love. Him eating breakfast the first time when he's just tearing everything to shreds. Oh, I yeah. forgot how funny that was. And my kids are like, "What the heck was that?" I'm like, "Cause he's a fox. How else is he gonna eat?" Yeah. Um. Otherwise, the only really cartoony thing that he does in his performance is his 
kind of thing, right? His his signature yeah. trademark move, right? Which is very cartoony, but I think even that works because I was thinking about it all day, and I think the reason this movie works for being as weird as it is is it is a kids movie that is made almost exclusively for adults. Yes. It <laughs> that's like the only way I could think to print. It's a kids movie, but it is made almost entirely for adults because the things the characters are interested in, the things they're focused on are not interesting to kids at all. There's real estate deals. He's talking to his lawyer. The way he talks about his kind of ego is done in a very cool way. Like I have this thing that if people aren't always talking about me, I feel like I'm not good enough, you know, or however it is he yeah. phrases it. I'm like, oh, that's just like exactly what it feels yeah. like when you have those moments. Like, what am I doing? What happens when it's it's talked about in a way that kids could almost understand it, but those are not little kid. Pro- I mean, they could be, but those are adult problems. And this movie is about adult problems, right? It's kind of like The Incredibles, which is my favorite Pixar movie, where what I love about The Incredibles is like, that's Mr. Incredibles' problem, is he wants the glory days. He wants his former life, but he has to, he has a family to take care of. Of course, in that movie, he, you know, fully restores himself as a superhero and, you know, has his own growth through that moment as he realizes, you know, what it means to be a father. But that's kind of what's happening here as well. And when you watch it like that, the issues, the problems, the performances are all like very adult. It yeah. just, but it's a stop motion movie that's rated PG where they don't swear, they just say cuss. Where when a character yes. dies, his eyes just turn into X's and it's very silly and weird. Um, and that's what I think is so charming. I think ultimately that's what I love most about this movie is it's it feels nostalgic. I think all of those stop motion stuff makes and and like you said a comfort movie it feels like old style made for kids stop motion except it's better than all of that and it's dealing with stuff that adults have to deal with and i think you catch that in the performances and you catch that in the subject matter and that's why the things that are the funniest in this i think are when it leans into the silliness of the things that we grew up on as kids like their weird sport you know whack bat (laughs) Or whatever it was called, which is so yes, dumb, back. but also hysterical, and I love it. Yeah, no, it it's so good, and and too, I mean, speaking to uh, the use of characters and everything else, um, it it's not a fantastic Mister Fox centric movie. Like he's for sure the main person that a lot of things are happening to but every character is just has something going for them every kind of main character because you have mr fox who has his existential crisis that is Mm -hmm. the core of it but you have ash you have christopherson Mm -hmm. you have uh felicity and you know mainly those but they are each of them has an intriguing real-world problem. Like with Ash and Christopherson, <laughs> they are so I love funny. But... so much. Oh, my goodness. He's hilarious in this. But, but like, <laughs> Ash's actual problems are, are, like, real and interesting. And, yeah, they you are. Know, you know, again, it's delivered in such a way that, you, you know, if anything, it's more an early teenager type Mm -hmm. movie just you know him wanting 
people to be loyal to him, wanting to be recognized by his father for a very hyper-specific thing, which is being an yeah. athlete, um, you know, and having someone else come in and fulfill that role and his father not notice him and instead knows Christofferson is so well done and it's never left alone long enough in the movie that whenever it comes back you're like wait what were we talking about with this character like you know well they all pay off so well right because like with Ash and Christofferson the way (laughs) yeah you've got a kid who's grown up in his father's shadow and he doesn't know how to live up to that. And then Christofferson comes out of nowhere and does everything that is getting recognition from his dad. And so he wants recognition from his dad. And, oh, boy, is that a real a real thing and a real issue and a real problem. And But it pays off at the end when he, you know, says he can do the right thing. And, then, and he does, you know, after he humiliates himself by trying to karate chop the lock off of the apple crate and just knocks it off a table... But otherwise, he's running across the yard and smacking open locks, and he's being awesome. And he's told, like, yeah, I'm an athlete, and his dad recognizes him for that, and it's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's it's so good. <laughs> just, yeah. Just all of it. Um, he's great. His performance is great. I think even with Christofferson, who I don't think has much focus, I don't know if I completely agree that all these characters have something. I think there's two characters. Well, I think it's Fox and Ash. But the other two yeah. characters involved in each of those stories still has something when... <laughs> Ash is being just a punk about the double pneumonia and is forcing Christofferson to sleep under the train set table. And he starts crying under there. And it's just like that again, like you took something that could have just been funny and you made it real. This is a kid that they don't talk too much about it, but like his father is sick and he's worried about it and he's polite. And this little turd is just being awful to him. But then when he's crying, he's like, well, here, I'll turn on my train for you. Like, he feels a little bad about it, right? And so I love stuff like that. I think, of course, stuff with Fox is great. The conversation between him and Felicity is fantastic. Um, Her recognition of I never should have married you, I think, is so interesting. And, of course, that's just the end of the conversation, right? But, again, really grown-up themes and ideas of, like, you know, I love you and I'm here for you, but... I think we should acknowledge, like, this probably wasn't the best idea for us getting married. Like, maybe we shouldn't have, um, but we're going to make it work anyway. Yeah. And I think no, that's great. I, I, I think now, I mean, I, I think the last time I actually watched this movie, I really wasn't well-versed in Noah Baumbach. Because, like, some of those things that get interjected and are very Noah Baumbach and not so much anderson yes anderson's themes and stuff he doesn't quite go there in most of his movies uh Mm -hmm. but bombach you know that's that's his wheelhouse (laughs) that's that's kind of all he does i didn't know his name at all until marriage story right so like he's very much like let's get in deep and and dig around He's, he's worked with anderson a few times i looked it up and he was also he also helped write uh, Life Aquatic, which makes me want to go back and watch uh, Life Aquatic. Um, so they've done some work together, but yeah, like the guy who's known for <laughs> writing and directing the movie of Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson screaming at each other probably has yeah. a few lines to put in there that are interesting about relationships and marriage. Yeah, definitely. And 
No, like the scene with Ash and uh, Christofferson when he does come in and is crying under the thing. For whatever reason, as I was watching it this time, like I always felt it was weird. And this is how I took it this time. You'll have to tell me what you think. Is like not so much that Ash is actually being nice to him when he goes and turns on the train set, but is trying to drown him out. <laughs> right. No, I thought um, that too. <laughs> Except like, for, I thought that was the joke at first because like, that's funny. I mean, it, it reminds me of a family guy episode where the flashback is Lois is pregnant and is throwing up from morning sickness. And Peter's just sitting on the bed. And while she's throwing up, he just turns the TV up, which is funny and terrible. And that's what this was too. I'm like, Ash is funny and terrible, but because Christopherson comes out and they both watch the train together for a while. I feel like there's a little bit of, oh. of twist there. Well, but see, I, otherwise I, I, I just took it as Ash was so hyper-focused on the train that I didn't even notice Christopherson was even doing that. A la his fa- father and everything he does. He is charming. He does things that comfort people. But is he really engaged with what he's doing? Probably right. not. That's yeah. how I took it. But who knows? <laughs> Yeah, it work. It works yeah. either way. So it does. It it really does. I like it a oh, lot. Man. Um, couple of quick things. There are this movie is funny. I know we've referenced a lot of the things that we find amusing, uh, but we can kind of hit a few of those real quick, and then we'll move on to the ratings. But um, the animations when they start digging the hole straight down, and they're all just running, and just like it, the way it pans, and the the tunnel is just being mm-hmm. created is one of those like very silly, very cheap, but Dang, it's funny, and I love it. Yeah. Chris Darverson doing his dive from the tree where he's diving for way longer than there's possibly to have room to dive is very funny. And I yeah. like how Anderson leans into this idea of animation, that you can just do things in this medium that you couldn't do otherwise. Yeah, And it's just, it works so well. I don't know, did you have any other moments that just like, yep, those ones are great? Um, Not so much with the animation. Like, I, I really... Anything. All right. Um, I I mean, just the lines in this movie, it's, you know, it's it's just deadpan humor, but Mm -hmm. it's it's that Wes Anderson thing of however he writes the dialogue, like it's meant to be funny, but it's so not funny (laughs) like on paper there's no way it can be funny because it's so matter of fact and and i mean he does this in every movie and so it's weird that that there's such a a a response (laughs) in some of his movies like even grand budapest where it's just like you know it's a very deep story and Mm -hmm. and intriguing and everything else but it's just so delivered matter of factly um i i have a whole thing of quotes pulled up so um like like when he's talk so so when he's talking to mole he's just like i just want to see a a little sunshine but you're (laughs) nocturnal phil your eyes barely open on a good day i'm sick of your double talk we have rights (laughs) i know it's great well and the one that i found very amusing that again reminds me like this is exclusively for adults is when he's asking kylie for a credit card to pick the lock and he Mm -hmm. looks at it and he's like whether it's platinum yes. or titanium. So he's like, how'd you get that? He's like, what? I pay my bills on time. Like, that shouldn't be yeah. funny, but it is no. funny because of yeah. how it's delivered and they're animals for crying out loud. And they're things that otherwise no one ever stops to think about. It's like, oh, I have a card. I'll pick the lock instead of looking at it and t- making any observations. 
and it's great. Yeah. No, I I mean, just every line is quotable, <laughs> almost. When he's um, interpreting or what he thinks the wolf is thinking is very funny. <laughs> it is. That's so. We gotta talk about that scene. And All right, let's talk about the to, wolf to ratings because this is the scene from the movie that probably is most brought up from what I've seen is this weird scene. And I remember hearing, I think Wes Anderson talk about it and stuff like this is a scene that almost didn't make it into the movie because Hmm. it's so weird. And as far as, well, as far as the only place it really has is right. This very funny line that that's brought up near the beginning of the movie and throughout, which is like wolves. What, what, where, Oh, yeah. okay. You know, and it's just this funny thing like, oh, I have a phobia of wolves. And then there's this no, scene I'm not afraid of it. I with a, a wolf. It. And it's so weird and out of the blue, though, because it's just like they're making their big escape and they stop mm-hmm. to have this dialogue like, where'd he come from? And and everything. And it's hilarious, but weird to, to yeah. cling upon any type of meaning for and I, I mean uh pete, pete holmes even has a shirt of the wolf like yep. and i think it's called the most awesome wolf ever and it's like the wolf's fine i don't think it's the most awesome wolf ever but it is the, an iconic thing from this movie the, the holding wolf his giving, paw up in a fist ho- ho- in a fist yeah and it's i don't know it's awesome any any thoughts <laughs> Well, I think if we, yeah, he, there's frequent references. Like, what, what do you mean a wolf? Why do you keep talking about a wolf? Like, there's something that agitates Fox when it comes to the wolf. Um, and I wonder if that's, like, the intimidating factor. I wonder if that's where some of the masculinity aspect is. Like, if I was going to do any deconstruction of the animal kingdom, right? Foxes are not big. Yeah. But wolves are. <laughs> They're like a wolf is so much more dangerous than a fox. They are probably much more respected than a fox. And so I, I, I wonder if there's something about like he's afraid of them because they're big and they're scary, but also he like admires them, right? As soon as he sees yeah. one, he's like, Whoa, whoa, what? That's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. And he wants to connect with it in some way. He doesn't know how to connect with it. He's trying to come up with stuff. And at the end, all there can be is this quick movement kind of of solidarity of like, I see you and you see me and that's, that's all we need. I don't need to compete with you. I don't need to challenge you. I just acknowledge that you're there and you can acknowledge that I'm here and that's a great experience and we can move on with that. And I think with everything that Fox is frustrated about and irritated about and and the, the insecurity he feels when he confronts this thing that apparently he's been afraid of his whole life and it's, Everyone keeps their distance, but they leave each other and like, yeah, all right. I see you. Yeah, I see you too. Like just this recognition like that you're enough and you've got what you need, I think could be a big part of it. Interesting. Yeah. This time around watching it, I I also got a sense of uh, kind of because it's a theme that comes up and it it's the theme that ends the movie actually. So I I think that's Mm. what also the wolf ties into is this, uh, kind of wilds versus being domesticated. Mm -hmm. I idea of, right. Like you, you have the line, like, yeah, I know you're just a wild animal at heart. And yet you have 
Mr. Fox trying to be this this thing that's very civilized, right? Because uh, to want to have people admire you and like you is an invention of civilization, right. <laughs> essentially. Like, n- no one cares in the wild if you're charming. It's about survival. And so I think you get a sense of that as well in this movie when they confront each other of just like, oh, it's you. You're you're in the wild. You're you're doing it, and I'm I'm wearing clothes and driving a motorcycle. Right, and, and, and the and wolf is the only animal that's just an animal without clothing just an in the animal whole movie, except for the yeah. birds, I guess. The, but well, and the dogs, yeah. Um, oh, that's true. But but you know, and so like there is again also the acknowledgement of just like you know, oh, are we gonna be in for a hard winter? Oh yes, you think so, and so you get this sense of, I think an agreement upon like we're doing things the way we know how to each of us. And mm-hmm. it ultimately comes down to survival. Cause that's, that's the last line in the movie is here. It is to our survival, you know, yeah. by kind of by an, any means necessary type thing, because, you know, they get trapped in a hole and then, <laughs> you know, go to yeah, Boggs Bunsen being superstar. Is, what you're bringing up is very cool though, because, this idea of wildness and and since you did remind me like this is near the very end of the movie the movie ends with them in a grocery store right that's where they end up getting all their food from so which means he does even though i'm kind of annoyed with this movie because he doesn't learn much of a lesson (laughs) through all of his shenanigans um he's still arrogant he's still whatever that's i guess what he'd call his wild uh characteristics but at the end like he's not hunting He's still taking from Boggus, Bunce, and Bean because it's their grocery store. But he's like, they're in a grocery store, which is so much yeah. more domesticated and so much more civil and so much more uh, down to earth and not wild as I'm going to go hunt and kill these things. And so I wonder if maybe instead of uh, the I see you, you, and you see me, that it's a parting of ways. It's him giving up his wilder side when he sees this wolf. Like, you are going to be the wild one. I'm going to have to do what I need to do for my family and my community because he goes home. And then he takes care of his community by just going and robbing grocery stores and not being savage and not killing things. And I wonder if there's something there, too. If Maybe it's a yeah. farewell to the wildlife that he wishes he had instead of saying, I'm fine with what I have and you're fine. Which, those could, they could both be accurate, but I think it could go. Yeah. Yeah, maybe either way. Cool. So. I like it. To the ratings! <laughs> All right, I went first on Nightmare last time, so you get to go first on Fox. (sighs) Well, this movie's trash. Um, (laughs) Total piece of garbage. Hot hot garbage. Uh, What a piece of cussing garbage. No, no, I love this movie. This really is one of the one movie that has grown on me in, in, you know, 10 plus years of just the first time I saw it to now and just loving it. Um, you know, Wes Anderson is a very interesting filmmaker in that, like, you know, he runs the film nerd circle so much, um, for reasons that are sometimes very good. And then most of the time, from what I see, it's just like, oh, he's so quirky. Mm-hmm. We love that he's so 
quirky. And it's just like, there is so much more going on in all of his movies. And, you know, like at first this movie seems very much just like a, oh, he's doing a children's book from an English writer. That's whimsical. Something like Wes Anderson right. would do. And yet, you know, it it's a complete retelling of the story. Um, and done in such a way that is so human, but it's still his style. And it's so distinct, uh, you know, right down to the right camera angles. <laughs> that is the whole movie. Um, and, you know, it's his first foray into animation and it's stop motion animation. And it's it's pretty close to perfect <laughs> um with everything and i think it like i said earlier i think it's just kind of the start of his run of just making his best work hmm. you know of you get fantastic you get moonrise kingdom which is another one you get grand Budapest. you know you just get this string of movies that are so fully realized and this one is one of them um and it's like you said it's a uh, kids movie <laughs> that's exclusively for adults um ah, man i i have to agree with your son's review on letterbox which holy i haven't crap. seen it yet <laughs> uh well here's the quote holy crap this is amazing i think is what it is awesome. um and it is uh i i had it at five stars apparently and uh I mean, it's four and a half to five stars for me. I'm not settling on on one. <laughs> You're not going to pin it it's, to one or the other. <laughs> I'm not going to pin it to one because it's un, unnerving to have so many five-star range Wes Anderson movies. Mm, yeah. I, I don't want to do all of them that way, but I think I did that with Moonrise. <laughs> so yeah. I, think I rated it five stars. So, yeah, four and a half to five. Good deal. 4.75. <laughs> come on letterbox we Fox need at ears. least one more range uh here for 4.75 yeah no i think this movie is great um i think that as much as i liked it i was a little afraid to revisit it and within the first couple of minutes i'm like oh is this not going to be as good as i remembered it and but the more it went on and the more i thought about it I'm like no this is still like just an incredible piece of work like the story is very much a children's story but the ways that he chooses to focus on the motivations of the characters and, and the inner conflicts of these characters is so grown up <laughs> and it's so real. Um, something you don't get in a kid's movie because most of the time, I was surprised that my kid liked it as much as he did. I know he likes stop motion in general, but it's like a lot of what's happening. That might movie, be it. I don't know. <laughs> no, he does. He loves that, but he was also laughing. He was having a good time. Yeah. Um, I know I don't remember what movies we've done this before, but I do always hesitate a little bit when your main character doesn't change a whole lot because I figure that's kind of part of what a character is supposed to do. And you have the scene where you know it's supposed to happen, right? Where he and Felicity are by the waterfall and there are tears and, you know, around that same time where she slaps him and like there's a lot of big conflict there. And his change is pretty minimal, right? He still gets to live out all this stuff. But it is still change, right? He still mm -hmm. has change with how he sees his community, how he sees his family. Ash has a massive change in how he's seen by his father. And depending on how we're interpreting the wolf and the grocery store at the end, maybe there's more change there that I'm giving credit than I'm giving it credit for. 
Possibly. Not sure. Um, I think that the more I watch this, the more I will even like it as it goes. To compare it to something like Nightmare Before Christmas is silly. This is by far a better movie. Like, by plot, by filmmaking, um, soundtrack. Well, actually, I'm going to take back the soundtrack. Score is better on Nightmare. So, I was going to say soundtrack because they do some really fun, clever needle drops in this one, which is very fun, but I'm, I'm going to yeah. backtrack on that. Nightmare still got a better soundtrack, even if you don't like the songs. And <laughs> I think that it's really quite incredible, and it's a bummer that his next uh, stop-motion movie uh, I was not into at all, which is a bummer with Isle of Dogs. I don't know. Uh. But this and, and see, now I want to go rewatch it because I've only seen it once, and yeah, yeah. I need, yeah. I need to watch it again, give it another shot. So this one is, it's very good. It's, uh, like you said, it's close to perfect. I'm going four and a half on this. There's something that's holding me back from five, and I don't know if it's the, the character dynamics or <laughs> sometimes Wes Anderson doing extreme close-up straight into their face shots is a little unnerving. And maybe that's the point of what you do, but it can also be a little unsettling. I got to find some reason. So four and a half is where I'm going with this All one. right, all right. It's pretty good. Uh, Slade, last week I totally uh, didn't allow you to announce our next film. So if you'd like, would you like to announce what film we're watching next for our holiday film feast? I guess so. Um, <laughs> I have no emotional ties to it. so it's Neither fun. of us do because we haven't watched it. <laughs> we haven't watched it. So uh, we, we're, we're getting a pretty good... Uh, uh, going across the decades with stop motion. Mm-hmm. We, we started in the early nineties. We're hitting the late two thousands with a resurgence of stop motion. Um, and now we, we have come to the present day. Uh, we are going to be watching Guillermo del Toro's interpretation, uh, reimagining of Pinocchio streaming on Netflix. Oh yeah. Which I'm very so, excited for. Yeah. So, Uh, Join us for that on part three of our holiday film feast. As always, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. And uh, join us later this week as we dig into Pinocchio. So until then, farewell, good people. Don't stop the talk after you walk out of the theater.